This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Um, it's always a pleasure to have Sarah Boyd with us today, isn't it? It really is. And so, um, you know, we have new, new people, Sarah, since you taught last time. Sarah, Sarah's on our teaching team, and I'm so glad for that because it's, it's always, it really is, is, a, is a pleasure. And I, I've said you're my favorite apologist. I mean, come <laughs> on, you, you know it's true. And so thanks for coming. Thanks for uh, jumping into the series, No Other Gospel. Yes, thank um, you for having me. It's always a, a delight to be here. Good morning, Gateway. Um, you know, I, I forget which of your opening sermons on Galatians it was, Tom, but you, you asked the question, um, if the Apostle Paul was alive today, would the church receive a letter? And, you know, great question. But I, I honestly believe after, after listening to you make that statement, that at least part of that letter would include encouragement for the pastor, uh, the pastoral team here at Gateway that stands for truth, teaches truth, and truly shepherds its people well. So um, thank you for, for standing for truth. It's not easy in these, in these times, but man, how, how important is that? So Gateway, you are truly blessed by the, by the pastoral team that you guys have. <clears throat> well, uh, while it's a privilege to be on the teaching team here, um, my, my day job is uh, teaching high schoolers about Jesus and the Bible and you know, all good things. And so how many of you have, uh, your kids are done for the summer or you are done? We just celebrated some graduates. So, so, so summer has begun. And there, there, there is a word for that. It's called freedom, <laughs> right? So the, the last day of school, and you know, here, here's the thing with, with teaching high schoolers. I, I teach our older students. And so it's a mixed class of 10th, 11th, and 12th and the seniors end early. And you, you get to May, and they only have a few weeks left, and man, do they taunt the underclassmen. But you know, every now and then, you know, we'll, 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 be, we'll be entering a new unit just before the seniors are kind of gonna fade out. So they get a part of it, but they don't have to take the test on the unit and you know, they, they celebrate this. But some of them will naively say to me sometimes, like when we start the book of Revelation, Ms. Boyd, I'm coming back. Like, I'm, I know we're gonna be done, but I'm gonna come back just for Bible class. To which I say, oh sweet child, I have seniors say that to me every single year. I've never seen one do it, right? Because once you taste the glorious reality of sleeping in, it does not matter how interested you might be in the book of Revelation. It will not draw you from your pillow, right? So I'll see them at grad practice later in the day and I'm like, mm-hmm. And they like avoid eye cut. They're like, yeah. Right? So, so this idea of, of freedom, like when you've been made free, I mean, you don't want to go back to what you were doing before. And that's exactly what we see in chapter 5 of Galatians as we continue on in this No Other Gospel series. So just by way of kind of acquainting us with the chapter, uh, let's take a look at just the first verse, Galatians 5, verse 1. And uh, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, 
and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And we'll come back to the rest of this here in a moment, but, but this idea of you have been made free, now stand firm in the freedom that you've been given. And if you've been listening to this, this series that, that, that Gateway's been going through, you've heard Pastor Tom, Pastor Mario, unpack in chapters three and four this concept of the law, this concept of freedom. And so we, we visited again to, to this morning in chapter five because Paul belabors it again. And you gotta love Paul. I mean, Paul's a little long-winded, but what Bible teachers aren't, right? I mean... It, it kind of comes with the territory. So like, let me explain it once, this part, let me explain this part again, and then let me like put it together like a PB and J in chapter five, and just make sure you've got both pieces together. And that's kind of what we see in chapter five is Paul making sure we've understood fully and are applying fully what he's been saying, especially in chapters three and four. So as we, as we kind of consider where we are in the text and what Paul's been saying about, about the law, about freedom, hopefully this, some of this will sound familiar. I know it will because I've listened to the, the sermons and I was like, oh, took my, took my comment there. Ah, oh, okay. Ugh. So that's good though. I, I did give Mario a little bit of a hard time about saying Twix was his favorite candy last week because of like, it, we could be dying on a desert island and I would let you have the Twix. Like, that's how I feel about caramel or caramel. I don't know if you guys solved that issue uh, after the cameras were off. But um, anyway, this is, this is where we are this week. So let's, now let's, let's take a look, and we're going to kind of walk through chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read it all again. Here we go. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await the faith, uh, we await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Now, often my teaching dates here are, are determined by the availability of like when I can come over from across the water. And so Tom and I were working this out and I said, well, how about June 11th? That's a good Sunday. And he said, great, that's Galatians 5. And then I read Galatians 5 and I was like, oh, yippee, the circumcision chapter. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. So, but the, here's the thing. We're going to talk about it. I mean, not specifically. If you have questions about that, you can talk to somebody else. But um, this idea of understanding the importance of circumcision to the original audience, 
Why does this issue, why when Paul is talking about the law and faith and grace and Christ, why is this the issue that keeps coming up? And so I know that we've talked about the law the last couple weeks, but I just want to kind of run through some of this. And I'm going to give you some homework because I'm a teacher and that's what I do. So we're not going to take the time to read all of the passages that I'm going to allude to, but I will make sure to give them to you because this week that would be a great addition to what we are talking about this Sunday morning, and you guys can go and look at this for yourselves. So when we talk about circumcision and why it is so important, we have to understand, well, where did it come from? Why is this such a big deal? And it began back with Abraham. God calls Abraham, he calls him into covenant in Genesis chapter 15. And when Abraham responds to God in faith, Genesis 15 tells us that that's credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham had faith in God even before circumcision. Circumcision was not the thing that made Abraham right with God, but it does, two chapters later, become the sign of this covenant. And and Paul actually unpacks that in Romans chapter 4. He spends a whole chapter in his presentation of the gospel to the Romans explaining this. So if you've got questions about circumcision, go read Genesis 15 through 17, and then read Romans chapter 4, to see how Paul further explains this. So so circumcision goes all the way back. So every Jew in the history of Judaism would have marked or would have understood that their relationship of faith in God was marked by this sign of circumcision. Okay, well, fast forward to the Mosaic Law, and you can read about that in Leviticus 12, because who doesn't want to read Leviticus in the summer? This might be why the seniors don't come back to my class. I don't know. But in Leviticus chapter 12, where we get this picture of the law, let's remind ourselves of the context. God has delivered Israel from Egypt. He has called them to Mount Sinai. And he is again giving them covenant by way of here is how you're going to live in relationship with me. Now, this is prior to their rebellion, where then they have to wander in the desert for 40 years. And I think sometimes we get confused by this and we think of the law is almost like a consequence of the rebellion. Well, like we rebelled, so now we have to live by all these rules. Ah, God's just a divine taskmaster, right? But this is how God established his people prior to even the the wilderness and the wandering. This is prior to their rebellion of not going into the promised land. You can read about that in Numbers 13 and 14. You didn't know you were getting a reading plan when you came to church today, did you? But I was like trying to put all this in and I was like, they're going to hate me on the slides. We're not going to do this. So so here here is the point The law, circumcision, was never how people were made right with God. It's how they maintained relationship with God. It was a sign of that relationship. In fact, you already heard about this when you guys went through Galatians 3, uh, verse 323. It says this, that the law was our guardian until Christ. The law showed us that we can't maintain our end of the covenant. We need a savior. I mean, can you make it through the day without sinning? 
I can't. I drove around today. Do you know how many times people cut me off? Like when he says, who cut in on you? I'm like, I know. It was the blue Subaru. Right? And I was like, I'm, I'm about to go teach. I got to get right with Jesus. Driving lets me know where my sanctification is. <laughs> and I still have a long way to go. Right? So, so here, is, here is the point of what Paul's saying. Like, it was never meant to save you. It's just, it's a sign that you're in relationship with God. In fact, when Moses gives in Deuteronomy the law again to the people, listen to what he says. And I do think this one's important enough to put on the screen. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. I mean, doesn't that sound like how Jesus wraps up the law, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, even the law itself pointed towards Christ. That this circumcision, which was an outward sign at one point in, in the relationship of God to his people, was going to become this internal circumcision of the heart as we live by, by faith in Christ and the work of the Spirit within us. Which is why, again, Paul in Romans chapter 2 says this, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Now, again, for context, think about who Paul is saying this, and think about who he is saying it to. Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, before he comes to Christ, to say, well, you're not just a Jew because you've been circumcised. That would have been like dropping a grenade in the room. Pin drop silence. What do you mean that someone can be a Jew because they've been circumcised in their heart? I mean, this was, this was an extreme statement that Paul is saying, and he's saying it because he understands the reality that legalism doesn't save, that outward action doesn't save. He understands that the guardian, like the time of needing the guardian has ended because Christ has come. It's just like you and I, we grow up to a point where then we live in a new way, right? Because we don't need a guardian forever unless you are 40 and live in a basement playing video games. But again, I'm not to judge, right? It's just what it seems like on all the dating websites. Okay, so... I tell myself not to make these comments, but I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I want you to think about this. In, in, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews uses this analogy for the law. He says in Hebrews 8.13 that the law is obsolete. And I want us to think about that word. Because something can be good in its season, but it can become outdated and obsolete. Which is, I tell my students, I'm not talking about myself, Okay. But I do think that this is a really good analogy. So I began driving in 1999. 
And so, yeah, thank you. Some of you are the same age. Yeah, we're, we're young. We're, we're happening. Um, I got at that time a flip phone that was just for emergencies. Now, can I walk you back to these dusty days of our past where you had to pay for minutes? You, you, mm-hmm. you had to pay extra for a texting plan. And then you had to T9 it. You're like, 6665553. Okay, that's it. Space. Right? I mean, like, try to text under your desk then, right? You couldn't. So in its season, that was like the new thing. Do you guys remember, like, the Razor phones? It was like the thin flip phone. I mean, that was fancy. And then we move into the Droid, the first of the smartphones. Do you remember? Who had a Droid? Anybody? Yes, okay, a few of us. So that technology, if I was to pull out a 1999 flip phone, like if you heard my phone go off in my purse, and I was to pull that out and be like, hello? I mean, it would catch some attention, right? Because you're like, that is really outdated. It's really obsolete compared to what's available. And that's the analogy that Paul is making. He's like, you have Christ. Why would you go back to what is so obviously obsolete? Yes, it was good in the season. No, Jesus doesn't do away with it, but he fulfills it. He is better than. He is all that the law pointed to. And so Paul is just wanting them to understand that God is not looking for this external conformity but he is looking for people who will be transformed by the work of his spirit. Legalism is this idea of earning God's graces through actions or being counted righteous in our own behavior. And and if I could caution my, my friends in this room who are parents or people who work with youth, I think this is something we have to be very careful of, that we are not just trying to shape external behavior, but we are speaking to the heart. Because I can, in a student ministry setting or in a family setting, I can see a student who is obviously not behaving and say, oh, they're so far from Jesus. I'm not talking about a kid that just needs their nap, right? But like, you, you can see a hardness of heart reflected in some people's behavior, right? But the danger is there can be someone who behaves well who his heart is actually just as far from Christ. Behavior is not always the indication of where the heart is. And I think that's the danger of Christian community where we have kids that come to Christian community, whether it's church or it's school, and they behave well and they know a lot, but their heart is actually still far from Christ. And so Paul here is saying Jesus looks at the heart. See, in this day, in Jesus' day and beyond, religious leaders had, had added heavy burdens to the law. They had added things to the teaching of, of Scripture. And so you had people saying, you have to keep all this plus in order to be right with God. But then, and, and we've seen this, like, I don't know about you, but I'm, I've been around the church long enough that I remember when church culture was, don't wear jeans to church that's not holy. Did anybody? I grew up in a little Pentecostal church with orange carpet, like bright orange, built in the 70s, still had a Sunday service, like old school Pentecostal church. And I'm thankful 
that I, I have my heritage in the church, but I remember some of the legalism that I'm thankful for has kind of died away, right? Even though I'm here in a dress. I, could, I should have worn pants to make this point more, but more powerful. But what's the problem with that? We, we push, and this is where we're going to go, because this is the next part of what Paul's going to say that we're going to read, is we push so far against the legalism, and Mario alluded to this in his sermon, that then we get to this progressive freedom, where now I can do anything I want. Well, Paul says any, anything is, you know, permissible, not everything is beneficial, right? Maybe it's not even sin, but is it wise? I don't know, I'm just dropping some questions out there. So here's this idea, Here, here's where Paul is going to continue this thought. He has belabored, you are not under the law, you are not under the law, freedom, freedom in Christ. And then he wants to make sure that we fully understand what that looks like. We no longer live under the law, but, and we have this freedom, so how do we live? So I want to pick it up with Galatians 5.13 and then just read also 16 um, and, and 17 here, or through 18, sorry. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do whatever you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I mean, if you read Paul, if you were to just read all of Paul's writings in the New Testament, you would see these reoccurring themes like in every letter that he writes to the church. In fact, I keep referring to Romans because again, in Romans 7, we have this, we have this presentation of Paul explaining his own internal battle where he says, I don't do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to do. I, I see this battle in me. That's Romans chapter 7, 14 through 25. And at the end of that exchange, he just says, what a wretch am I. Thank God that Jesus has saved me. Can anybody relate to that this morning? I know I can. See, we have this freedom, but we are corrupted. We are like a, a demagnetized compass needle, right? Like when God created humanity, he created humanity holy. That compass needle pointed due north, but sin broke the compass. And we're in Christ when we're in Christ, he remagnetizes that needle, but it still feels the pull of both of these worlds. I want the thing of the spirit, but I still feel the pull of the flesh. I still feel the pull of the world. And so this battle, as long as we live in the flesh, is this battle between the things of God and the things of me, where I get to be my own authority. And too many of us are letting that win out. I can be whoever I want to be. I am who I say I am. I'm not who God says I have to be. Right? And so, this, this re-magnetized compass needle is the best picture we have of freedom. See, I think we sometimes think of freedom as, now I can do whatever I want. Seniors who are just graduating... Let me dispel the illusion that freedom means you can do whatever you want. Because you won't get five minutes into your adult life 
before you realize that is not true. It's not even close. And those who have been buying toilet paper for themselves the longest would say amen. <laughs> right? But this remagnetized compass needle. In fact, I, I heard a, I can't remember who I read who, or who said this, but I remember it stuck with me. You are never more free than when you actually become a slave to Christ. See, this is one of the paradoxes of Christianity. You die to live, and you are free when you become a slave to the right thing, or I should say the right one. Right? We would never, I mean, again, this is going to date me, but I've already told you I started driving in 1999, so you can do the math. But back in that day, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, uh, we had, like, do y'all do remember the floppy disk? Do you ever have a floppy disk that just took a beating in your backpack? And then that paper that you'd spent all that time, you couldn't retrieve it because you, you couldn't get it in the thing? Right? Or, or did, you, did you ever baptize a floppy disk in coffee? It's, you know, coffee is great, but not for technology. Right? But, but we would never look at this floppy disk and say, oh, it's so free, it can do whatever it wants. No, you're free when you work the way you're designed to work. And you and I, we are not our own creator. We are the creation. So in anything in life, maybe other than Ikea, if you want to know how to put something together or how something should work, what do you look at? The manufacturer's instructions. Well, we have instructions. We have instructions for what God said is right. We have instructions for how God said we're supposed to live. To live. We have instructions to know what's best for us. We know how to be free. It's in Christ but we rather live under the delusion that I'm my own boss. Instead of abdicating the throne of our heart, we want to occupy the throne of our own heart. And so here is, here is Paul saying, live free, live in Christ. And he says, essentially, there's really two ways to do this. You're going to live in one of two ways. You are either going to live in your, your own, you know, occupation of being your own king, or you will live according to the king of kings. And the spirit is the only thing that can enable us to live in Christ. And so we get this description at the end of Galatians 5, where it spells out these two different paths. So he starts by explaining the flesh. So let's look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. I mean, don't you just love how Paul I mean, it's, it's obvious what the flesh is, right? And then listen, listen to what he, he lists first, sexual immorality. Isn't it interesting that where we highlight our desire to live according to our own will is often and mostly exhibited in the realm of sexual morality? Just a note. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, 
is obvious, right? Like Paul, Paul doesn't mince his words. It, we know if we're living our own way or God's way because God's way is much harder and we have to live on our knees in prayer as we live in the world, right? And, and honestly, like just take, so I, I was like looking through the list. Okay, what's the safest one to like say out loud? I've already had to talk about circumcision. Okay, let's go selfishness. Let's just highlight that for a minute. You don't have to teach little kids to be selfish, right? Like you go in the church nursery and like you can have a toy that one kid doesn't want until another kid has it, right? And then we have to learn to not be selfish. Like when I had to learn that not all the lane belonged to me and people could come in my lane at any time this morning and some of us are still learning these things. So that's the flesh. And then he outlines the spirit. And we're familiar with these words, so I just want to take a couple minutes and highlight them. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those things do not grow on their own. They grow because the Spirit is at work within us. So please do not hear this message this morning and say, well, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do more. If that is where you have landed this morning, you've misheard everything that we have said. The Holy Spirit is the one who works these realities two realities in our lives. And, and let's just for a moment think through what these fruit look like. Love. Selfless and unconditional, even towards those who are our enemies. Joy, inner confidence of, of well-being of soul, even when things are not easy. Peace, a restful, assured stillness or spiritual calm. Patience, this is the one, I, I mean, I've, I've shared enough of my own life to know that you know this is the one I struggle with. Ability to wait on God's timing. I wish that one wasn't in the list. <laughs> Kindness, even in the face of offense. Goodness, the ability to do the right thing. Ethical integrity, moral decency. Faithfulness, endurance driven by truth. Gentleness, humility, self-control, submission to God's will over our own. Friends, does this not show us that we need the Spirit of God at work in our own lives? We cannot just decide to do this. We cannot set some resolution to just do the, the Christian life better. Now, now hear me, I can put things I know are not of the Spirit to death in my life. I can choose to have nothing to do with the things that I know are going to stir me more towards the flesh than the Spirit. This is why Galatians 5.24, he says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Probably sounds pretty reminiscent to what you heard in Galatians 2, verse 2.20. That I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified. I'm never 
more alive than when I'm dead, and I'm never more free than when I bind myself to Christ. In my life, I've made some choices that I know, I recognize for where I am in life, are important to my contentment in Christ. So here's one of them. I'll just share one easy one. I've already made the joke, you know, I'm single. Um, and I'm almost 40. And I am actually, on most days, very content with the life that God has given me. Do you know when I start to get a little un... Or not uncontent, that's not a word. Discontent. I'm a teacher, you can trust me. Uh, discontent. I, didn't, I don't teach English, right? <clears throat> if I start to listen to secular music, and I'm not even talking like the bad stuff, there's junk out there that's just junk. It's like kids will come to me like, is it a sin to listen to secular music? Well, it depends on what you're listening to, right? But here's the deal. I would never go as far as to say that everyone needs to make that same choice for them. That's legalism. But I recognize that if I listen on end to songs about love and romance and love and romance and love, that I, I start to just grow discontent. So I make a choice to just not listen to it, right? And maybe here and there, if I'm in a car, I'm not like, turn it off, heresy, right? But in my own life, that's a choice I've made. I put that to death because I want to be content in Christ. So as we talk about how this has to be the work of Christ in us, we also recognize that we can help put to death those areas. We can stay away from, we can be a set, set apart from those things that don't push us towards Christ. And so, as we end our time and we prepare to sing and worship, <laughs> I wasn't going to share the part about Christian music, but I was giving them time. <clears throat> I, was, I was giving them time. Uh, but, but, the, but the truth is, we live in a way where we celebrate freedom, but we use that freedom responsibly to run towards Christ. Would you pray with me as we prepare to, to worship? Lord, we want to be people who celebrate the freedom that your gospel provides for us, that Jesus has provided for us. And so, God, we ask that you would help us. Lord, give us the wisdom to see the areas in our life that are, that are holding us back. Give us, give us um, wisdom to know the things that you would remove from us and give us the willingness to let those things go. Lord, I pray that you would use us to be people who hold to the truth in grace so that we can point others to the freedom that we have in you. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Yeah.
Jesus' name, I pray that